Thank you, Stu. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see everyone here today. Looking forward to a precious time in God's Word. Once again, we are in the book of 1 John, uh, chapter 4, as we move along in our study of this precious book. We'll be reading verses 1 through 6. I will mention this again, but we are beginning really the final section uh, thematically of this uh, epistle at this point. So um, with that in mind, then think, all right, where's, where's John going to be going uh, once it, by starting off the section this way? And we'll explore that question and thought as we get into this this morning. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you're able, please uh, stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. <clears throat> they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And God adds his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Please be seated. So the title of this whole series uh, has been Reasons to Write. And you may recall, those of you who are here at the beginning of this, we looked at a number of the different passages which are kind of front-loaded uh, fairly heavily in the first part of the book, but are sprinkled throughout, where John says, I've written to you because, or for this reason, I've written to you. And we have another such passage here that uh, actually didn't show up in our reading. This is, the, this is a, uh, something that John does every once in a while. He'll, he'll talk about a number of things and then say, all right, now this is why I said to you all these things. Uh, so it, in order to get at why he's talking about this now as he begins this last section, you have to look at chapter 5 and verse 13 where he says just that. It says, I write these things to you, all, all things about testing the spirits, about God being love and loving the brethren and overcoming the world, um, testimony regarding the Son of God, all of these things. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that, uh, or to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, that is going to govern how we look at each of these little subsections in this final uh, portion of the book. We're going to be looking at how knowing these things helps assure us of eternal life. Quite an important question, I think you would, uh, to, to have settled. I think you would agree. 
And I got to thinking about this while saying, well, all right, uh, saying to myself, having a conversation. Um, why start this section about testing the spirits if you're thinking about confidence in eternal life? And actually, I don't, it, it, it's not, I don't think, too complicated. It didn't take me too long to come up with an answer, which I think is, is uh, pretty close to the mark. The first requirement of, of, any, of any certainty regarding a path uh, to, to take or a way to live or anything else is to be sure of the sources of your information. Um, as most of you know, I dabble uh, in a hobby fashion with um, my old car. And I'm constantly asking for help. Just ask James or Warren. They will tell you I'm constantly going, uh, what do I do here? Um, and I go to them because I trust them as sources of knowledge. I go to YouTube, and sometimes I look at some of the things there where you can learn how to do everything in YouTube, just about. Uh, but uh, something, some of the little videos on how to do something, I go, so sure about this guy and then others I think seems to be pretty competent seems to know what he's doing that worked out well his own project didn't explode so I might have some some meager hope that mine won't either if I follow those instructions it's important to know your sources now I want you to think about the day and the hour in which we live I on a regular basis um, have professing believers come up to me and say, hey, the Lord told me this. The Lord said this. The Lord said that. Um, I just know, I just, I know what God, I know what God says to me, and so therefore it is now authoritative for the whole church. Uh, I get this a lot. Perhaps you do too. And it's, it's a bit um, disconcerting to try to to uh, try to help folks understand that just because they had an impression about something doesn't necessarily mean that God has spoken. So John is recognizing here, if we go back to the very beginning of this book, one of the things that he's dealing with is a bunch of heretics that are dividing the church and that are saying and claiming that they're speaking for God. And particularly in, in, their, in the case of these heretics that John is dealing with, the primary issue has to do with the person and work of Jesus Christ. So that's the context in which this is now being said. As he's wrapping up, he's kind of bringing his thoughts together. He's talked about some of these themes before, earlier in the book. And now he's bringing it all together to, to develop this final reason. He's speaking to a, a, a group of people who have been ripped apart with uncertainty in their own hearts that is raised by the false certainty of false teachers. And so he says, I don't want you to be uncertain. I want you to know. In this section, starting at chapter 4 and verse 1, working to the end of the book, the phrase, um, the word we know, and, and, and incorporated into phrases like 
um, for this reason we know, for this cause we know, because of this we know, we know, we know, we know. Or, and then added that, if you, that's used 14 times in this, this brief two, two chapter section. And then there are others that go along with that. Uh, speaking of certainty, speaking of confidence. So, John does not want them to be ripped apart by division caused by heresy and false teaching, by people who lift themselves up as, as teachers in opposition to those whom God has raised up and say, hey, God has told me this, uh, you know, Jesus isn't this, Jesus isn't that, this is what Jesus is, um, or whatever, and I know this because I'm of God. John is going to address those things in this last uh, final salvo against that, if you will, in this last section. Um, but, you know, part of the issue here is that makes it a little uncomfortable, or the disconcerting part, is that people can be so certain, can't they? And boy, whew, they can get really offended really fast if you tell them that what they're saying isn't of God. They call you, they may call you judgmental, they may call you an unbeliever, you just don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I do, and I know where he's spoken, and it wasn't there. And we, we can come across, if we're not careful, as being very judgmental, as if we are the people who in truth died with us. Um, you've all heard that phrase, you know, everybody's a critic. Uh, well... Critics aren't usually the most popular people around, particularly if you challenge people's cherished beliefs. I remember this was many years ago. Uh, I was in I was in college. I was working during the summer in a plywood mill, and was in a plywood mill. They've got dryers and other things that get the veneer going and get it ready to be all put together. I was on the dryer crew at the front end with all the wet stuff that goes in and. Sometimes the wood was slow because it was heavy and very wet and the dryer would move slowly. Um, and other times it would move quickly if it was thinner stuff. And we had a bunch of loads that were thinner and if it was slow, one guy could do it. But with thin stuff, you had to have two to keep up with the machine. And I um, had a fellow that I worked with on that particular shift uh, that um, was a professing believer. Um, and I went to a charismatic congregation and oh the thing about this is is that once the wood goes in you got this big these big stacks of wood you're there for the duration until it's gone if you're a captive audience you can't get down and uh, it's a prime time to talk to somebody they can't get away well anyway he, he was telling me uh, this one occasion how he had had a dream the night before and had seen a uh, nine-foot-tall Jesus standing at the end of his bed and was telling him to do thus and so. And I don't remember what all it was that he was telling him, but it really, you know, it was a mix of truth and stuff that was imagination and didn't really have much to do with God's Word at all. And uh, did I mention something about nobody likes a critic? And uh, anyway, so I was young. And uh, I gently, I thought said to him, I don't doubt that you saw something, but I don't think it was Jesus. Because the devil isn't 
angel of light and a great imitator. So the next hour, while I'm chained to this guy for, I got my ear bent, you know, listening to him go off because he was furious that I would dare doubt his experience. But we all have experiences that are, are, are shaded and colored uh, by, our, by our, our desires, by our education, by our background, by other experiences, by the people that we have in our lives, and so on. And the fact of the matter is, is that while I could have probably been a little more gracious, um, nonetheless, the, the obligation that we have is to try the spirits, whether they be of God. That's the command. When people claim to speak for God, we better be sure that uh, in our own minds that that is the case. And certainly it's most appropriate to challenge them. Um, you remember, uh, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Stop there. But um, trying the spirits, being a, a loving um, critic of those things, of those that claim to speak for God, is an appropriate activity. You know, we can, we, you might say, well, you know, in godly love, shouldn't we just, you know, doesn't 1 Corinthians 13 say, we should believe all things. Um, that is not an, a, a, an excuse for being naive to believe everything that we're told, especially in a wicked world. John says that you and I here have the obligation to exercise discernment, particularly in the matters of doctrine. It's not acceptable to shrug our shoulders and say, well, they believe in Jesus, so they must be okay and embrace every idea that's stamped with the word Christian on it, no matter how widely it might divert from what God has actually revealed about himself and his word. You and I are to test or try every spirit, uh, and that spirit is the idea of life and the teachings that come from that life. Uh, it, that just everyone that comes across our path, and, and not all of them come from God, no matter how religious they might sound. But to do this test properly, we need to do so by God's tests. I mean, if we erect our own standards for what's true and right, we're no better off than those who claim to speak for God falsely. I mean, we're doing the same thing, are we not? We need to be going at this by God's test and not our own. So let's take a look at this, uh, this passage, these first six verses. Let's take a look at the command here. And it is a command to test the Spirit. It's not an option. It's not an option. Uh, if you swing back to chapter 2 and verse 26, this is, again, remember the context where John says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Now some may be deliberately trying to deceive uh, with malicious intent, or they may be trying to teach you uh, it's deception. They're deceived themselves. But in any case, they're trying to deceive, either maliciously or, or ignorantly. It's not an option. And so this command implies very strongly that you and I are not to be, not to be gullible. Do not believe every spirit. The word believe here is the common one for belief. 
is the idea of putting their putting your confidence in something or having uh, faith in something because you're persuaded about them. And there are many persuasive voices in the world. Sometimes they're pervasive because they are able to marshal their arguments in such a way that maybe it comes so so quickly at you it's hard to to answer, or they might. Uh, come at something in just a little different way that you maybe hadn't thought of before. Or um, uh, sometimes it can be sheer volume and force <laughs> that they, you get inundated and it's, you hardly know what to do with it. Uh, for those of us that have worked in the fair, in our fair booth in years past, some of you have, uh, you guys can maybe think of people that have come, different kinds of people that come up we talk with. And uh, some have great force of personality. Some come across as very intellectual. But if you boil it down to the basics, essentially, uh, they don't want to believe God. And that's it. <laughs> that's the issue. So when you boil it down to the essential issue, maybe all those arguments aren't so tough to deal with. But at first, it can be kind of intimidating. And there have been, uh, now this was many years ago. I don't know what the stats are on this anymore. Um, I mean many years ago, 30, 40 years ago, it used to be that the largest number of converts to Mormonism came out of independent Baptist circles. Now, you can fill in whatever blank you want to there. Um, But that was an interesting deal. And I, of course, I was in, you know... In Baptist circles at that time, and so many of those that were not inclined to go into Mormonism were looking at that statistic and going, "Hmm, why is that?" And their own assessment was that many in that circle, that theological tradition, were more interested in dealing with how tos and practical things rather than actual doctrine and being really being grounded. There was a great ignorance on the part of many in the churches as to what truly God had said about Himself, and thus when they were presented the the very uh, sweetly and attractively packaged doctrines of Mormonism, uh, family, all of that kind of stuff, uh, they were swept up in it, and this must be of God, this must be true, and many would go into that. And I'm sure the Baptists were not uh, the only ones of whom that were true. Certainly I know um, in reform circles, not everyone is you know, a seminary theologian. And frankly, that's a good thing. Um, just having the degrees behind your name doesn't mean you know anything. But if we're not grounded in who God really is, we can be easily deluded and deceived, and we're ripe for it. That is why John is encouraging the saints at that time and us to be careful about what you're persuaded about. Don't jump at the first thing that sounds good, or the latest book or the latest uh, speaker. Proverbs 14, 15 says, The simple believe every word, but the prudent man looks well to his going. And in Romans 16 and verse 18, They that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Uh, We do not wish, I trust you do not wish to be numbered among the simple, those that are easily persuaded. Um, I've, sometimes I've had different ones from the congregation, and you know who you are. 
come up to me after a sermon or, or write me a note or something else. And they'll go, what about this? What about that? And they'll ask me a question. And then they'll follow up with it is, I, I, I hope you don't mind me asking these questions. And what have I always said to you? I'm thrilled for the questions. I'm absolutely delighted that you are taking seriously your obligation to try the spirits, whether they be of God, and not just go, oh, well, Pastor Len said it must be true. This may come as a shock to you, but there have been times when I have said things that weren't right. Even in the pulpit. When I had a moment of trusting in my own self instead of trusting in the Word. Well, I remember one time, and <laughs> this was back in Grand Island, and I, I don't remember what it was at this point. It's been too many years ago. But I remember what happened afterwards. I, I, was, I decided at the time, it was, it was one of those things that came to my mind and on the fly, and I trusted my memory, and I shot something else. I shot something out there. This is what it said. And I was pretty convinced that was right. You know, and then um, one of the ladies of the church, she uh, she's still there. Um, she was older then, but uh, had been around a long time. And very sweetly came up to me and says, Pastor Lynn, um, I was just curious, what, how, what about this verse? <laughs> that contradicted what I'd said. I had the, I don't remember was that number wrong or I had an event wrong, something about it. Anyway, I was wrong. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so the next week I made a correction. Um, well, I'm so thankful for her sweet attitude to come up and, and help correct me. Uh, but she had the, the boldness to do that. You know, that is what we are called to do is to come back to God's word, be governed by it, and not be simple and just she could have just gone, oh, well maybe I must have misunderstood that, so Pastor Lynn must have that right. But no, she remembered from her reading that what I'd said was <laughs> not right. So she took pains to help me remember that. Psalm 19 verse 7 says, the testimony of Yahweh is sure making wise the simple. We need to be grounded and connected to God's word, not to our impressions, not to um, you know somebody's passionate plea to believe whatever uh, uh, whatever um, emotional response they had to something or the other, um, or their uh, you know, imagined uh, vision or whatever else it might be. There's a simple thought, a similar thought in uh, Psalm 119. Uh, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. We've got to be governed by God's word. And in this command of, of trying the spirits, not being gullible, just believing in everything, we need to ask the hard questions. Test the spirits. Test is an interesting word. It's not a matter of indifference. It's not just ask a couple of questions. Oh, oh okay. Um, it, it, the word means to scrutinize and, and to exercise that scrutiny, that careful examination with a goal of either approving or disapproving what you're hearing. So ask the hard questions. Take a look, if you will, at Deuteronomy chapter 13. 
And listen carefully to what this says. The application here for uh, our current religious climate that wants to say, well, see, there's, there was a sign. There was one, oh, see, there was a sign. Okay, so there was a sign. That's not the point, even though that's often assumed that it is. Deuteronomy 13, beginning at verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, God isn't telling them, you know, in this particular case, he's not saying, oh, the wonder didn't happen. He's saying he gives you a sign or a wonder. And the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass. I mean, isn't that, isn't that the test of a true prophet, whether or not it comes to pass? In another passage, yes, it is stated that way. It shows how you let Scripture be its own interpreter and give you the fuller pattern. So we have this here. And it comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Wait a minute. If the wonder happened, if the sign happened, shouldn't we believe it? The key is not the sign of the wonder. The key is what was said in light of God's word. And what did God say about going after other gods? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And if you forget that, and those dreamers forget that, and they there's a, some wonder, now where do supernatural powers come from uh, that are not from God? Again, Satan is a master of deception. And very powerful in his own right. And we have our own minds that can tell us all kinds of things. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for Yahweh your God is testing you to know whether or not you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So we don't just go by signs and wonders. We ask the hard questions in relationship to God's holy word. And, you know, I don't care if, uh, you know, he speaks a word and a building is reduced to rubble. If he says, therefore, we go worship this other God, we deny Jesus Christ, you don't follow him. The Lord's testing you. So Acts 17 is where I was thinking earlier, and I almost went to uh, a little ahead of schedule, speaks of the those of Berea who were listening to the town of Berea, who were listening to Paul's teachings. And, and in Acts 17, Luke compares those of Berea to those in Thessalonica. Those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, but they also searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were true. So they had a willingness to learn, a humility, a uh, before the apostle and the the teaching of God's word, but also uh, an eagerness to know. All right, this isn't just, you know, ramped up emotions or whatever else, but it really, really uh, can know that this is of God's word. 
I honestly thought I was going to finish this sermon today. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. So, verses 2 through 6 deal with, all right, now, now that we know we're supposed to test, now that we know we're supposed to stand firm, what kind of criteria do we put to these wonders and signs and and prophecies and teachings that come from those that claim to speak for God. What is the criteria? There are three tests that Paul, that Paul, that John uh, lays out for us here in verses two through six. And uh, being that uh, we're uh, coming up on time for receiving the Lord's Supper, then uh, I think I'm not even going to start this except uh, to ask you the question and, uh, and give you a, a little statement that I'd like you, I ask you to, as you go home this week and you think about um, whatever you do in your devotions from day to day, come back to this passage a little bit and ask yourself, when is God speaking? And with this thought, noticing the contrast between, and if you want to read on a little further, because this is referred, uh, this is mentioned uh, later in verse four, in chapter four, and also in chapter five, there's a contrast between the Holy Spirit, the one Spirit that is the source, and the many spirits. And we're going to talk about when is God really speaking? By what criteria do we know that? We'll take a look at that, God willing next week. But for now, let's, let's uh, have this in our minds, not to be gullible, but to test, examine, and scrutinize those things that are said. Even what I've said to you today, examine it, scrutinize it in accordance with God's Word so you can determine um, uh, both in your own mind in partnership with the Spirit of God and His Word if what I've said to you is true or not. Let's not be gullible. Let's ask the hard questions and bring glory to God so that when we so that when we talk to other people about what God has said that we may confidently know that we truly have because it is consistent with what he has already revealed in his word. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have not left us in the darkness. You have sent your spirit to us to guide us to instruct our hearts and our minds, uh, to convict us of sin, to uh, keep us, Lord, from error. Help us, Lord, to be listening and examining what we hear uh, in uh, the world of men to know whether or not these things that are said are truly of you or not. Or let us not be led astray, but may your Spirit give us wisdom Wisdom that is governed by your word so that we may bring glory to you. We pray these things in the name of our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ.